Hey, this is Aaron Brockett, lead pastor of Traders Point Church. Regardless of where you are tuning in around the world or if you call Indianapolis home, I just wanna thank you for tuning in to our weekly message podcast. Our prayer and desire is that God would take the content of these messages and use it to encourage you in your relationship with Jesus as you discover God's purpose for your life. All right, Traders Point, welcome. How you guys doing? Good. Hey, my name is Ryan, and I'm the campus pastor at our downtown campus, but honored to be here today. And just want to extend a special welcome to everyone. It's pretty wild that we have people meeting all over our city. So from here in the room, in Northwest, at North, downtown, West, everyone online, welcome. Thank you so much for carving out some of your time and being here with us today. And today we're kicking off a brand new series of messages titled Asking for a Friend. And I'll go first, all right? I'm going to put one out there. I'm asking for a friend. Have you ever been in this situation? How many times do you have to ask someone to repeat themselves before you just give up? How many times do you ask someone to repeat themselves before you just smile, nod, and laugh, and hope that what they said was a joke that doesn't require a response, right? Like, I'm sorry, one more time? No, again, I beg your pardon? Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. No idea what they just said. Or I'm gonna put another one out there and and maybe you have an answer to this. Does the five second rule apply to all foods? Is there like a subcategory of foods that it only works for? Like if you drop a chip on the ground, for sure you pick the chip up and you eat it. But what if you drop like jello on the floor? (laughs) Is it still covered underneath the five second rule? I I don't know. I don't know, Uh, but if you're here, maybe you're wanting answers to those questions as well. I hope you find them. Uh, But in this series, we're gonna be taking a different approach. What we've done is we've kind of taken a bunch of questions from you guys that you've submitted over the past few months and then looked at what are the most frequently asked questions that we got as a church, and we're gonna try to answer as many as we can. And before we jump into the set of questions that we're gonna look at today, I just wanna put something out there. I want everyone to hear this, that this is a safe place for your questions. This is a safe place for conversations. Like I said, we're gonna answer as many as we can, but I want you to know this is a safe place for that. Somehow along the way, there's been this stigma attached to, to questions specifically within the church, like somehow questions or doubts are a bad thing or you should hold on to them and just have more faith. But we really believe that we have good answers, strong answers to some of life's biggest questions. And we're not gonna shy away from them. So if that's you, I just want you to know this is a safe place for all of that because some situations, maybe you're in one right now, you, you know that there's not necessarily a simple answer and that's where conversations uh, are so great. But for today, we're gonna be kind of underneath this umbrella of relationships, right? So this is the one with all of the relationship questions. And what we're gonna do is take a look at some of the most frequently asked questions we got and then look at the Bible to see what it says, to see what Jesus says and how we should handle relationships. And lucky for us, Jesus says a lot about relationships. So no matter where your spot is in this room, whether you would say that you believe in Jesus, you believe that he's God, or you would say, I'm not so sure just yet that I would go that far. None of us can avoid the, 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 the fact that he changed the game when it comes to relationships. 
That from his time on earth, his wild teachings birthed a whole new way of life. It changed our relationships between one another. It changed how we viewed ourselves. It changed marriages. Like it was a really big deal and nothing has ever been the same since. So what we're gonna do is kind of jump in and see what he says. And I wanna go to this one scripture to kind of set us up. It's gonna be the framework for everything that we look at today. And it's this kind of love that can be found in our relationship. So it's in John chapter 13. If you have a Bible, you can get there. If not, don't worry. Everything will be on the screen behind me. But what's going on here is that Jesus is leaving. He's about to, to leave earth, and he's talking to the people that he's in relationship with, people that saw him do incredible things, love people like they had never seen love done before. <clears throat> done before. And this is what he leaves them with and what he leaves all of us with. Jesus says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. I'm giving you a new way to live, a new way to approach relationships. He says, I want you to love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This is big. So Jesus in these few lines sets it really clear for us. He says that I want you to love others, and then he goes and defines this kind of love. So this isn't a love that we get to decide on. It's not based on our emotions or how we're doing that week. He says, no, I want you to love people like I have loved you. And this is a big kind of love. What he's calling us to do, this is a big love. This is a self-sacrificial love. This is a love that comes in and serves people. This is a love that comes in and helps carry the burdens of other people. This is a love that says, hey, I love you so much that I'm even willing to die for you. This is a big and heavy, crazy, wild love. And Jesus says, yeah, that's the kind of love that I want you to take to the world. And then he shows us why it's such a big deal and why we do approach our relationships with this kind of love, because he says that this is the proof. Like this is the proof of who I am and all that I've done. This is the proof of my love. This is how the world will come to know who I am. It's through your love and through your relationships. So relationships are actually gonna be the lens in which people come to know Jesus. Relationships will be how we showcase God's love. So this is a big deal. So, so don't get me wrong, if you're in the room, you don't believe in Jesus, I truly believe that what he says about relationships, it will practically help your relationship starting today. But for all of us in the room that do say that Jesus is God, we're following after him, we don't have an option. Like <laughs> our mission and relationships, they are tied together. That's why it's so important that we have healthy relationships. It's why it's so important that we don't stand for things like gossip. It's so important that we address situations as they come so that we can have healthy and loving relationships because this is gonna be how the world comes to know who Jesus is. And that kind of leads us to the first question that we got. The first question that got submitted in was, how do I handle conflict in a healthy way? How do I handle conflict in a healthy way? And this is a reasonable question because if you know anything about people and loving people, it's only a matter of time before conflict arises. People are messy. We're not the best, okay? So a situation's gonna come, there is gonna be conflict. So what do we do when that comes? And what I wanna do is just point to a short illustration that Jesus shows. 
And he uses this one key factor that would completely change all of our relationships if we would just start applying it today. So go ahead and take a look at this story that Jesus tells, and then I'll explain what's going on here. But Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 23, he says, hey, if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and then you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar and go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. So what's going on here? Well, Jesus is giving this teaching about how, what should, what should happen when there's a conflict. And the word and just this big thing that he puts in there is this idea of urgency, of handling it. And it's amplified by the situation that he gives us. In this story, he says, hey, if you're in line at the temple, now it's important to know some context here. If you're in that line at that temple, chances are you would have traveled a long distance, towns and cities away. You would have been standing in a very long line. And this wasn't any line. This was your chance to go before God, to take your sacrifice to him. But Jesus says, hey, even in that moment, drop everything, go and handle the conflict right now and right away. Now, I'm gonna speak for myself and maybe it applies to you, but that is very different than a lot of times of how I address conflict and what I do. If anything, it's not urgent, it's the opposite. I wait, I downplay it, I hope that it goes away instead of completely going after it. And I've seen enough memes and posts from other people about just running away from conflicts and running away from problems and people that, that I've seen enough. Like if I see one more post of I'm done, I can't do it anymore, I'm just gonna be a mermaid, all right? What, Carol, you can't be a mermaid, all right? It's not in the cards. You gotta get back in here. We have to deal with these problems and with these situations. Or these guys, you know, I'm done. I'm done with it. I'm, I'm moving out. I'm, I'm living off the grid. I'm gonna build a log cabin. I'm not dealing with people anymore. I'm done with it. Well, Stephen, um, you, you can't even change a tire. So the thought of you going out and building a log cabin is just ridiculous. Like get back in here. We need to handle these situations. And the big thing that Jesus here says is that to handle them quickly, that this should be of top priority because it's not true. Time does not heal all wounds. Add time to a wound, you get infection, you get problems, you get things built on top of it. You need to address the wound, you need to go after it and handle the situation. But as we're called to handle it, as we're called to go after the conflict, we're also called to go about it in a very specific way. We're supposed to be urgent, but that doesn't mean we come in hot. That doesn't mean we come in without grace. The Bible talks about this a lot, where it'll kind of take two things that seem very different, but puts them together and they work perfectly. Like, hey, I want you to act fast. I want you to be, uh, I, want, I want you to be urgent, but I also want you to go in, in gentleness. And a big one that it uses when talking about conflict is, hey, I want you to go in truth. Like, I want you to go and address the situation, but I also want you to grow, I want you to go in grace. And we need to have both of those when we are approaching a situation. I love the way A.B. put it. It was like four years ago, our lead pastor, but he was, he was working through this and talking about this stuff. And he said, hey, if you give me truth without grace, I, I, I can't hear you. And if you give me grace without truth, then it won't change me. Like, do you hear, this is gold here. That if we can take those things as we go into a relationship, if when we know something's not right, something's not sitting right with us, and we know there's a problem between us and someone else, if we address it quickly, and that we go in grace and in truth. 
I mean, think about it before you go into the situation. Write it down, say it out loud, and ask the question. I mean, is this, is this all truth? Am I coming in too hot? Do I have any room here for empathy, for grace? Am I gonna be able to lead them to something? Or maybe you're on the other side and you're saying, maybe, is this all grace? Am I really getting to the conflict, the point of why I want to have this conversation? Because we should be able to beautifully marry those things together in urgency with grace and truth. And I think if we can apply those three things, that'll be a great start and a great conversation starter for all of our relationships to be handled in a healthy way. So that's the first question that came through. Uh, the second question, and it's a big one, it came through probably more than any other question. It's, should a believer date or marry an unbeliever? This is one that comes through all the time. I've sat down with a lot of people. I talk with people on staff. This is a big one that is not going away. So maybe if you heard that question or you saw it and you were thinking, yeah, I gotta say that one's really not for me, I would just say, give it time. This question is one that's gonna be looking at all of us at one time or another. It's gonna come from a friend, a brother, a son, a daughter, a nephew, a cousin. This question is coming. So let's talk about it. Should a believer, should a Christian date someone that does not share the same beliefs? It's a great question. And I talk with people all the time and there's usually a few justifiers as to why I'm doing it. A big one is, you know, I'm doing it. I'm in this relationship because I think Jesus is using me to get them to God. And I would say, for sure, I think God could use you to get them to Jesus. From what I've seen, that's pretty much God's plan A. That's how he gets people closer to himself. What I would ask though, is there anything specific about the relationship piece that's helping in the equation? Or can it just be a friendship from the beginning and then you can tell them about Jesus and then if it builds into something more than it can, or can you take a step back and move into a friendship? Are those, those are some great questions that I would ask in a conversation to have. So that's a big one. And I would say the, the, the biggest one though is, you know, I sit down with someone, they say, hey, we talked about it. And uh, I let them know where I stand. I let them know my faith is important. I'm cool with it. They're cool with it. And I say, cool. I, that's cool. I'm glad everybody's cool with it. But what I would say is that cool doesn't stay cool for long. All right, cool doesn't stay cool with it for long because what's cool is fine when it's yours. When it's yours, it is cool. When it's your money and you're sending some of your money to the church, okay, that, that's fine. Or when it's your time, like whenever you're gonna say, I'm spending uh, this night at group and I'm going to church on Sunday, that's fine, it's your time. But when it moves from yours to ours, when it's not just your money, but it's our money, what do you, what do you plan on doing with it? And when it's not just your time, but this is our time together, we are in a relationship where, where we're married, it becomes, why are you going there again? Do you really need to do that? Tell me again why you go every single Sunday. Is it really that big of a deal? And then when you have kids, more pressure gets added to it of you're gonna take my kids there. I don't know if I believe that they should be raised going there. So cool stops being cool really quick. In marriage, in marriage, things that are cool don't last. It's only things that both people are willing to fight for like crazy. Those are the things that last. And just from a very practical level, think about how unfair it is if you're in a relationship with someone that doesn't believe what you believe. Because what you're doing is you're asking them to be okay with the fact that nine times out of the 10, a decision you make is gonna be filtered through something that they don't even believe in. 
Think about the tension that is gonna be there because seeing everything through one lens, like seeing everything through the lens of Jesus, that's a very unique way to see things. Most people make decisions based on different criteria. Like I, I, I make these decisions about my family because of this. I make these decisions about work because of this. I make these decisions about my finances because of this. It's a, it's a perfect setup for a huge headache. Because I want you to think about it like this. How many Euchre fans do we have in the room today? Any Euchre fans? Yeah. All right. I apologize to anyone that just maybe moved here from out of town or you're watching online. From what I've seen, Euchre is pretty much an Indiana Midwest game. But here's what Euchre is. Euchre is a game that you play with couples and what you're trying to do is get as many books, win as many hands as possible. And the way you do this is that you have the highest card, the highest card wins. Now, what makes Euchre challenging is the fact that every hand Trump changes. So the high card on the table changes every single hand. It could be clubs, it could be spades, it could be hearts, it could be diamonds. You have to pay attention and then that changes the strategy of how you are going to approach the game. That's very different than a game like spades. In a game like spades, it doesn't matter whose hand it is, who dealt, what's going on. I know that a spade is a spade. The spade is the highest card that I'm gonna be able to play and it's acknowledged by everyone as the highest card. Now think about your relationships through that context now. Think about how if you're going into this situation where they're approaching it and they're saying, no, this is the high card for finances and this is the high card uh, for work, this is the high card for family and you just keep holding up this Jesus card, like, no, this is, this is the trump card. This is the highest card that there is. Think about how frustrating it would be. It would be like two people are playing two different games. But now imagine it's not a game, but imagine it's your life, and it's every decision, and it's every day. Think of the tension that is gonna be built up. Think about how hard it is to, it's gonna be to have a healthy relationship. And usually what happens is one of two things. And I'm gonna speak from a Christian perspective here. One of two things will happen. Either as a Christian, you'll begin to hide who you are. You'll realize that Jesus isn't the high card that can be put down. It's not even a card that's acknowledged. So you stop playing it. And what you do is you move Jesus out of the center of your life and you kind of move him out to the margins and you keep that person that you're in a relationship with and you, you begin to adopt new filters and reasons why you make decisions. That's one, which doesn't lead to a healthy relationship between you and Jesus. Or second, you say, you know what? I'm gonna stand firm. I don't care what game you're playing. I don't care why you make the decisions that you do. God's authority is my final authority. He did everything for me. I'm gonna do and live a way that is honoring to him. Jesus all day, I'm playing this card, which sounds awesome, which sounds great and it's good for you and Jesus. But what it does to that person you're in a relationship with is it pushes them out into the margins. And now you don't have a close relationship with them. How could you? Because every time you're making a decision, they, they, can't under, they can't understand where you're coming from. So you lose empathy and you begin to, in that gap, you build up resentment and pain. And like I said, just neither one usually ends, to a, ends with a healthy relationship. But some of you know my story. Some of you know my story, like I was not a Christian until I met a girl who I was dating and she brought me here for the first time. Uh, and it worked out, obviously, I'm here. Uh, I believe in Jesus. I do, I promise. Yeah. 
But even with that, even in that relationship where Jesus was brought up from the very beginning, it still added some extra tension. It still added some extra conversation that made things more complicated. Like I remember having a conversation with her um, like a month in and saying, hey, if I stopped going to church, I was trying to understand how big of a deal faith was. I got Jesus, but I really didn't understand how big it was. So I said, if I stopped going to church or if I didn't believe in Jesus, would you, would you date me? And I remember her saying, no, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't date you. I would be your friend and I would be here for you, but I wouldn't be in that kind of a relationship with you. I was like, wow. And I remember a few months in, she left to, to go on a trip and it was gonna be the first time that I was going to church by myself and, and wrestling through those questions like, am I gonna go to church by myself? Never done that before. What does that look like? Is this thing really real to me? And it just adds a lot of pressures. But I know my story is not just for me. There's a lot of people in this room that you would say you were brought by someone else, you started in a relationship with someone else, and now you have come to know Jesus. What I am not saying is that God can't work in any and every circumstance. What I'm not saying is God can't reach you right where you are, but what I'm saying is that as Christians, as people that are following Jesus, we're not trying to put God to the test. Like we're not trying to make a, the, the, a really tough circumstance for him to come in and save the day, but we're trying to set up clear boundaries. We're trying to set this thing up so we can have healthy relationships, not throw up Hail Mary passes to God and hope and pray that he shows up. We can do some work on the front end. Um, and I also wanna say that, that if you're here and that's you, um, that you're working through a relationship and maybe you've noticed for a while now that things aren't working right, like you're feeling some of the tension of not being able to relate to them and you just feel God calling you to say, you know, this isn't time for this relationship. If that's you, please don't leave here and hit someone with a cold text or, or just do a, a drive-by and say, hey, <laughs> I, you don't believe what I believe, so bye, see ya. Like that is not, <laughs> that is not a way to handle a relationship within grace and truth. That's a cold response that is not gonna lead anyone to Jesus. But instead, sit down and talk with them practically, not necessarily even spiritually, because you can't use something that, that they don't believe in, but get practical with it. Explain what we were just talking about. Like if nine times out of 10, I'm gonna make this decision because of this and you don't believe in that, I feel like that's gonna add a lot of tension to our relationship. I don't think it's gonna end well for us. What do you think? And have a conversation, ask questions. It will really set you up for what's coming next. And, and, and some of you are in the room and you're saying, man, uh, that's not my position. That's not my position either. I'm, I'm not just dating someone, I'm married. I'm married to someone that doesn't believe what I believe. And, and I know there's people in the room for, for different, you got there in different ways. Like some of you, both of you were, when you got together, you were both Christians. And then along the way, one of you walked away. Or for, for others of you, like, like you, were, um, you were both not Christians. And when you got into it, you realized you found Jesus, but they never did. And you're living with some of those tensions. Like you're dealing with some of that pain right now. And it may be a really difficult spot. And I just wanna point to, 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 to the Bible real quick, because um, it looks right at this and it addresses this, this issue. So take a look with me, and then we'll kind of break it down from there. And this is in 1 Corinthians. He says, if a fellow believer who has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And if a believing woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. 
For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage, and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are. But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insist on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. Here it is. When, oh, if, if this is the situation you're in right now, hear these words. He says, don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? And don't you husbands realize that your wives might be saved because of you? So if you're in that situation right now and you know the tension and maybe you're at this place where you're saying, I'm done trying, I'm done inviting them to church, I'm done talking about Jesus, it doesn't go anywhere, it falls on deaf ears. I just want you to hear these words, don't you realize? Like, don't you realize that that could be the conversation? Don't you realize that that could be the prayer? Don't you realize that could be the invitation that goes to getting them back to Jesus? And even in this situation where it may seem dark, I want you to know that you may not ever be closer to the heart of God. Because this is how God treats us. This is how God approaches us. Even when we turn away, even when we don't believe in him, he is right there every single step of the way, hoping and praying that we turn around and we will meet him. So if you're in that room, you're in that place right now, don't give up hope. Don't give up hope that this next conversation, this next prayer, the way you live, the way you love, the way you talk about Jesus, it could be the thing that changes everything for them. All right? God's not done working on them or in their story. And for, for others, of, others of us in the room, um, you, you, you've kind of moved past that and now you're in a spot where you're divorced, marriage is over, maybe, maybe it has been for a while, or maybe you're, you're, you're approaching there and you're about to sign the papers. Uh, I just want you to know that we're here for you. Out of, out of time, I won't be able to, to get to this one this week, but, but this is one of those complicated issues nonetheless that might be better for a conversation. So if that's you and you're going through this and I just want you to know you're not alone, that we are here for you, we have great resources. We would love to set you up with a counselor to talk through some of these stuff. So if that's you, please know we're here for you. You are not alone. Um, but for the, for the last question that, that we're gonna tackle, the last question that leads to a subset of questions, don't get too excited, we still got a little bit of time. Uh, but it's one that came through and it came through a lot. And the way that it was usually phrased was, what does the Bible say about being single? Right? What does the Bible say about being single? So in all of the rooms right now, make some noise if you are single, clap your hands, give a shout. Lots of us. All right, now let your eyes follow those claps and go. And don't go ask for a friend, ask for yourself, get you a date at the end of this thing. <laughs> Kidding, kind of. Um, but I do wanna say to all the single people in the place, um, I'm sorry if sometimes it gets weird or awkward for you. A lot of times by stuff like what I just did where I single you out for being single. And a lot of times within church, the, uh, a conversation can be reduced to that really quickly. Of like, oh, as soon as I find out they're single, it m immediately moves to, oh, I have the perfect person for you. Or, oh, you need to meet my nephew or my brother or my second cousin. They would be great for you. 
And at times I can sure, I'm sure it feels like, okay, then is that why I'm here? Am I just waiting to get into that relationship? Is that gonna be the thing that, that does it for me? And I just want you to know that if you're here and you're single, that's not it. Like marriage is not graduating to anything. That's not something that you, that you step into and, and it changes. You, you are perfectly and, and perfectly made by God. The marriage piece is not gonna add anything to that. And I think we need to take back what singleness is because the way the Bible talks about it, it actually calls it a very specific word. It says that singleness is a gift. Singleness is a gift. And I know if there's anyone in, the, in one of the rooms today that is working through that or struggling with this idea of being single and wondering what does it mean or, or how do I approach it? Singleness is a gift. And we're gonna read this, this scripture really quick uh, here in a second. But before we, before we set it up, I just want you to know that this is coming from someone that was single. Like this isn't someone from the outside speaking into it and saying singleness is a gift. Some of the most prominent people in our faith, Jesus being one of them, single his whole lifetime. Paul, someone that planted so many churches, wrote a lot of the Bible that we read. This guy, single for a lifetime. And he's the one that looking out and seeing marriages, looking out and seeing everything, looking out and seeing all the work that he's done. And he says that, hey, singleness is a gift. And this is, what he, this is the reason why. Go ahead and take a look with me. He says, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. Now, this is what Paul's saying here. He's saying, this is the gift that you have of being single, is that you can be single-minded in your pursuits. And he says that what you're able to do, being able to directly go straight after these things, it's actually a gift. Because even in a marriage where both people believe in Jesus, it still complicates things. Because you still have two people, two schedules, two emotions, two passions, everything coming together. And you're trying to figure out how do I serve God? How do I serve them? How do I serve the people around you? And Paul says that this is actually gonna throw them into a set of problems that I wouldn't wish for you, that you don't have to have as a single person because you can be single-minded in your pursuits, that you can go after them, you can be direct, that you can be agile, you can move in ways that married people can't. And I wanna, I wanna make sure we clear this up. Like this does not mean that because, you're scheduled, that because you're single, your schedule is open. What, it, what it's saying is because you're single, your schedule is yours and you can invest in relationships like other people can't. You can be there uh, faster and you can be more mobile in these circumstances. So that's what it's saying. It's saying it is a gift to be single. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise because what singleness isn't is a waiting block. What singleness isn't is, is you waiting until you're in that relationship and then life starts. Like somehow that that's when God begins to use you because that's not true. Like you, marriage is not two halves becoming whole. It's two people coming together, but, but you need to see that like you are whole just right now that God made you image bearer of God, that that is you. Not attaching yourself to anything else could ever add to that. Jesus has already determined and placed your worth right there. You don't have to wait for anything. But in this season, as you're growing, and as you're having conversations, talk about it. Talk about the gift of singleness. Be honest with it, be open with it. 
and talk through both with married people and single people and see the gifts and leverage them and use this season in your life to reach more and more people for God to take more ground for the kingdom. Like I believe that, that that could happen. That if we could get back the gift of singleness and not see it as a, a stigma, not seeing it as a waiting block, but really somewhere where God is gonna use you like crazy, open yourself up and leverage yourself to reach more and more people for Jesus. And because the, the truth is that the work that you're doing now within yourself, growing closer to God, like that, that, that's all incredible things. Because marriage isn't gonna, if you're looking at marriage, marriage isn't gonna be the thing that fixes it. Like I always get a little tense and a little worried when I'm talking with someone and they're like, you know, I just, I really wanna get married. I've struggled for a long time with loneliness and, and I, just, I just wanna be married. I know if I had someone there with me, then I wouldn't be lonely anymore. And I'm just thinking, man, marriage is, is, is incredible, but it's not gonna be the thing that cures your, your, your loneliness. Or I'll be talking with someone and they'll say, you know, I'm really looking forward to marriage because I'm just a really selfish person. I mean, down to it, I'll be honest, I'm selfish, I want what I want, and I just can't wait to get married. And I'm just like, oh yeah? Uh, <laughs> For sure marriage doesn't cure selfishness, I can tell you that. Still working through, still working through that one. But what marriage does more than anything, it doesn't fix anything, but it exposes everything. And marriage maybe does a better job than anything else of opening us, opening us up to things that we know about, flaws that we have, struggles that we have, inadequacies that we're working through. It exposes those to us and some that we didn't even know we had, we didn't even know were a problem. Marriage exposes everything. It doesn't fix anything. I love the way Tim Keller talks about it in his book, uh, The Meaning of Marriage. And he says when he sits down with someone to talk through premarital counseling, he says to think about it like this. Think about a, a beautiful bridge, just the scenic picture of a bridge over a stream. And from a distance, the bridge looks beautiful. It looks perfect. It looks great. Nothing that your eye could see would tell you any different until you got up close and personal. And if you got really in there and you looked down and you, you could see some structural defects, you, should, you could see some flaws on that bridge if you got really up close and personal. But for most people, they couldn't see them. But now imagine that same bridge is sitting there in a 10-ton Mack truck drives over the bridge. Well, what's gonna happen? Well, those small hairline fractures, those things that, that, that you couldn't see before, they will begin to be exposed. And you'll be able to see them better than ever. Now, did the truck create them? No, they were already there. The truck exposed them. And marriage is a 10-ton Mack truck that will expose <laughs> everything that you got going on. But it's, it's, it's even bigger than that. Because marriage isn't the only thing that reveals that we have hairline fractures. Marriage isn't the only thing that reveals that we're coming up short in a few places that we have flaws. Marriage is a big one, but any time at all, any relationship that you see, singleness, you will begin to feel that spot where you know that something's not complete, that I'm off just a little bit. And then we begin to look for other things to begin to pull us back together, to, 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 to put some, some cement into those cracks. And we begin to look at other people and other relationships or we look to ourselves 
And I believe that, that so many people, they don't necessarily fall out of love, but they get crushed by the weight of it. When you come underneath something and you look to someone to truly fulfill you, to take away these pains, to take away these struggles, or you look to yourself and you say, if I could just do a little bit more, if I could just be a little bit better, then all of this would go and I would feel fulfilled. We have to get to this place where we realize healthy relationships, both with ourselves and with others, it doesn't happen until we get to a relationship with Jesus. Until we get to a relationship where, with Jesus where we say he's enough, nothing else will ever be. So I just wanna put this question out there. If you're here, I wanna ask you this question Can, and answer it truthfully, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? Do you believe that he is sufficient in every single way? Do you believe that he's with you every step of the way? Do you believe that he's with you in your single life right now? That no matter if you're, you're dealing with the questions of, am I gonna die alone? The answer is no, because you will have Jesus with you every single step of the way, so you'll never be alone. Or maybe you're in the situation, if my spouse, are they ever gonna come to know Jesus? If I'm looking to Jesus and know that he's sufficient, I know he's not done working. I know that he's working with me, that he's there every step of the way, so I have comfort. He's there, he can fulfill me. And we have to stop looking around to these other things, hoping and praying that they will do it because they won't. Jesus is a rat race, and it's one that will never end, and it's one that we don't have to participate in. So if you're here today, and maybe it's the first time you're asking that question or looking to it, is Jesus enough? I want you to know that you can start that relationship today. We would love to meet you. We would love to talk with you about what it looks like to love and follow Jesus. And for all of us in the room right now, working through different spots on the relationship spectrum, working through singleness, marriage, broken relationships, the whole thing, guys, come to this spot where we see that it won't be a marriage that fulfills us. It won't be the, the gift of singleness. It won't even be if we restore that broken relationship from a long time ago. It's only gonna be when we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe you are sufficient. I believe that you've done it all. And if we come to that spot and we have that relationship, that relationship will bleed over into every relationship. That kind of love will not stay here. That kind of love will be what we showcase to the world. That kind of love will be how the world comes to know who Jesus is. That's why relationships are so powerful because relationships can change the world. So don't give up where you are. Take the love of Jesus every single way you go. So what I wanna do right now is I just wanna pray as we kind of go into a time of communion, a time to reflect on what we just heard. And I'm gonna lead us in a prayer, a prayer that new relationships with Jesus would be started, old ones would be restored, and this world would come to know Jesus by our love. So pray with me. God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for this kind of love, this big, incredible love that you've given, you've laid it there for us to accept. God, I pray that we could latch on to that kind of love. We would accept that love. We wouldn't look for it anywhere else, but we would let it fulfill us. We would be sufficient in you. And God, I pray because of that, every relationship would be different. And God, I pray because of that, more and more people would come to know you. God, be with us over these next few moments. Help us get closer to you. God, lead us to you. Help us to ask questions and have conversations with you, Jesus. It's in your perfect name that we pray. Amen.